0: Um, practically speaking as well. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. It's, uh, Romans chapter nine, verses one through 18. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accused from Christ. For my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac they, sh- they shall seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of the promise at this time, I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion." So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show thee, in, that I may show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will hardeneth. Um, so, like I was saying, um, I want to look at two objections, uh, in this chapter. Um, in the previous chapter, in chapter eight, um, we looked at, um, how we're justified, um, how, um, how we have benefits that, that come along with, with our bodies, our old bodies being put to death, uh, and our new bodies are, are brought to life, uh, because of the shed blood of Christ Jesus. Um, and how nothing can separate us um, because of the shed blood of Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from our great Redeemer's love, um, which displays God's faithfulness uh, to His people, which um, I think is a good way to segue into chapter 9. As as Paul goes on into chapter 9, we we start talking about predestination uh, of God's children. Um, And that's where we find the first objection. Um, so, objection number one, and this is in, um, this is in verses six through thirteen. Um, did God break his promise to his people? Or, um, another way you could say, it, is the word of God made void? So I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read those verses, um, six through thirteen really quick. Um, starting in verse six there. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are not of Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they are, they, that is, they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, Sarah will have a son. Not only this, but when Rebecca had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that is the purpose of God according to election, according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the youngest, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So we see there that the first objection and what's interesting to me uh, about this chapter is these are objections that, that Paul is raising himself. Um, questions that Paul is raising himself because he, he foresees these as being natural objections, um, to the truth that he's preaching about here, to the truth that he's expounding upon. Um, he recognizes these as being natural objections that, um, Israelites um, will will raise um, as he's as he's going through and beginning to talk about predestination and and the the saving work of Christ not being just for Israel but also being opened up um to Gentiles as well. Um, and so he's raising these objections. So again objection number one, did God break his promise to his people? Um, the short answer is is no. Um, but the, there, there's more that we can pull out of that objection. And I think that there's some practical application that we can pull out of there as well. Um, so God's people are, are much more than just an ethnicity or a, um, or, or who you're related to. And we see that in, in verse six, not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Um, talking about being, um, in the, uh, nationhood of Israel. Um, that does not mean that you are outside of Christ's, um, sacrifice. And it doesn't mean that you're inside of Christ's sacrifice. But Christ's sacrifice for his people was just that. It was for his people, um, those that were predestined. Um, and I wanna, I wanna flip over to, uh, Galatians chapter four. It's uh it's in Galatians chapter four, verse twenty verse twenty-eight. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of the promise. God's people um are those that He has selected, um those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Um it, it doesn't have anything to do with those that are, um, from an ethnicity standpoint, part of uh, Israel. Um, It doesn't have anything to do with um, who we're related to. Christ's sacrifice for us is much greater and deeper than just who our family is uh, on this earth, who we're related to. Um, it is a much broader, a much deeper, and a much more powerful love, um, than, than just that. Um, as we go on in Romans chapter nine, he begins to talk about the promise, um, the promise that was, that was made to Sarah, um, that she would have a son, even at her advanced age. Um, and Abraham would, would be the father to many nations. Um, You don't have to turn here if you don't want to, but I'm going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 25. I'm just going to read verse, verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Now this was, uh, uh, talking of Jacob and Esau. Um, and that's, that's backwards to us. Um, it seems odd that, that the, the younger would serve, or excuse me, that the older would, would serve, serve the younger. Um, Jacob and Esau were, were seeds of Abraham, uh, from, from Isaac. Um, and you see that, you see that, uh, lineage there. Um, you can, you can track that on a, uh, on a family tree if you wanted to. Um, but again, as it says in, uh, Romans 9 verse 6, not all that were, not all Israel is of Israel, um, meaning that that relationship, that family tree that you tracked, um, from Abraham and on down, that is not the extent of Christ's sacrifice. Um, it is a much broader, it is a much deeper, and it's a much more widespread, um, sacrifice for his people that he preordained from the beginning of time um, and and that doesn't seem um, to the Israelites of this time that doesn't seem right um, and hence the objection is raised well we are Israelites and we're supposed to be God's chosen people how how can you say how can and, and Paul is the one saying this how can he say? Uh, They are not all Israel which are of Israel. How can you say that? We are God's chosen people. And that doesn't seem right. It seems as though God is breaking His promise. Um, But that's what we're looking at uh, in this objection. Um, And yet, as it says with Jacob and Esau, um, the... Older shall serve the younger. Um, it, it goes on to say that um, God hated one and, and He loved the other. In verse 13, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like something that, that makes any sense to us. So again, did, did God break His promise? No, because God's promise is not made to people of a certain ethnicity or lineage, but to those whom He loved. To those whom He predestined since the beginning of time, not of works. And we see that in uh, Romans 9, verse 11. For the children being not yet born, either having done any good or evil, that is the purpose of God according to... a according to election, might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. God's purpose will be accomplished regardless of our performance. Um, and that's a blessing. That's a huge blessing. Um, God loved Jacob before he did anything to earn it, um, which is good news for us because outside of Jesus Christ, we, we can't do anything to please God. Um, God's promise to His people are are never broken. God's sovereignty is never failing. And again, this is good news for us because I I don't I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm not related to Abraham. There's no family tree where where I am included. Um, there's no bloodline. I don't believe, to my knowledge, where I'm related to Abraham. But God's family is rich, richer and deeper. Than just who you're related to. God's family and His children are bound to Him by Christ's work and by His mercy. Um, we have been made part of the sacrifice that that Christ um, did for us. Um, and again, it, it seems backwards. It, it seems, um, and we can kind of infer that from the objection that's raised. It doesn't seem fair. But that's because God's purpose is, is oftentimes different than ours and not what we, not what we would expect. But God's works, God works all things together for good for those that love Him. Now we, we saw that in, in Romans, uh, chapter eight, uh, verse 29. Why, why does He work all things, um, together for good? Because He's sovereign and, and He's in control. Things don't work out exactly the way we want or think they should be, but they work together for good for his children and, and for his glory. And we'll look at that uh, more in a little bit, but, um, so practically, um, practically speaking, what, what do we do with this? What do we do with this information? This objection is raised. Um, what, what do we do with this knowledge of, um, of God's family, of, of God's children who, who he has again predestined, um, since the beginning of time, not because of anything we did or not because of who we're related to, um, but because it was God's will and his sovereign will. So practically, what, what do we do with this? Well, first of all, um, we thank God for saving us. Um, if, if we are his children and this knowledge of him choosing us since uh, since the beginning of time, um, we, we give thanks for that. Uh, and next, um, we rest in his providence for selecting us and not letting us go. So we allow that knowledge to humble us. We give thanks for it. And then we can use that knowledge, um, as a, as a hiding place, as, as a place that we can rest in, in knowing that as we saw in, uh, chapter eight there's nothing that can separate us from christ 's love, and because we are a part of that because he has chosen us outside of anything that we did, we can rest in that providence. We let the truth found in this passage um, wash over our hearts and minds and and what i'm what I mean by that is allowing what we're reading and hearing from Romans nine um, leave us with nothing but praise and, and thanksgiving for God. Um one of my one of my favorite hymns is uh, what wondrous love is this? And this uh that hymn I, I feel like it sums it up um much better than I can and and in the hymn uh, it, it's singing, you know, what, what what wondrous love is this? What type of love would cause the Lord of bliss to bear the curse for my soul? Um a soul completely lost in sin, um, unable to do anything outside of his uh, his mercy, um, but a love that saves me uh, and makes me a part of his family. We're his people because of what he um, because of what he did, um, and we get to delight in his mercies and grace. And that delight should, practically speaking lead us to praise Him. Um, As the hymn said, um, to God and to the Lamb I will sing, um, lifting up praises to the all-knowing and truly sovereign God. Um, So from a practical standpoint, what do you do with this objection that's raised? And the answer to the objection is God's people are the ones that He chooses as the great I Am, as a sovereign ruler um, as God, well, practically speaking, you you praise God, you, you you thank God for that. You allow again the the knowledge that we are His and he, and He is He is ours um, to push us to, to praise, to push us to um, lifting up His name to receive all the glory. And again, we'll we'll look at that here in the next little bit, but. Um, God, who is the great I am, um, has given us so much to praise Him for. Um, we are His people, and so we can rest in His sovereign will and know that He will not let us go. In Romans, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 39, uh, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, God's promises are not made void, so we can use that information to press on. Um, and going back to Romans 8 again, uh, we see in verse 37, we're, we're made more than conquerors, uh, in Christ. Um, and based on this information that we're given of God choosing us, um, we, we can use that information to, to press on not because of who we were related to or what we did or what we will do, but because of what Christ did for us. Um, we can praise God. We can use that as we walk through life. We can use that as um, fuel, um, as encouragement, as as food, as our nourishment um, as we walk through life. Um, what wondrous love it is um, that God... Saves those who could not save themselves. Um, I want to go ahead and look at the second objection now, and this is in uh, verses fourteen through eighteen of, of Romans nine. And I'll I'll read those verses, and then we'll we'll look at the second objection here. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will he hardeneth. So, objection number two um, is, is there unrighteousness with God, or is God unrighteous? Or another way you could, you could say it is, is he unmerciful? Um, This uh, objection arises as the answer to the first objection is reached, which is, God saves those whom God chooses to save. God is sovereign in everything that he does, and God predestines his people since the beginning of time. So, again, that raises the second objection, which is how could God do this based on, um, someone never having done anything wrong, never having done anything to, um, displease God? So, again, is, is God is there unrighteousness with God? Again, the short answer is is no, but uh, I think we can we can look a little bit further into this and and get some um, practical application out of it. So I'm going to turn to um, Exodus chapter thirty three. I'm going to be reading uh, verses 19 through 23. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And God said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen." So the great I am, the, the knower of all things, he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. Um, and for his children, that, that's a powerful thought. Um, for his children, knowing that he will place us, uh, in the cleft of the rock and cover us with his hand, um, that, that's our food. Again, that's, that's our nourishment as we go through life's troubles and sorrows, knowing that as his children, as his people, um, he is a, very merciful God. Um, uh, powerful, yes. He's sovereign, yes, but he's also a mer- merciful and righteous God. Um, and we know this because he tells us. Um, the scriptures is full of, of passages, um, about God's mercy and his, his care and, and his, um, attention to his people and their needs. Um, one passage I want to flip to, and this is, um, probably a, a familiar one is in uh, Lamentations. Lamenta- Lamentations, Chapter Three. I'm going to read uh, verses twenty one through thirty two. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the God's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust. If so be, there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, yet he will have compassion according to the multitude of his mercy. For he doth not... Uh, let's see. Yeah, first, that was where I was gonna stop there at verse 32. So we see God is, is merciful because he tells us he's merciful because we, we read of his mercies, um, throughout scripture. Um, and because of his mercies, because of his, um, his, his attention, um, to his children, um, and and because of a great many other things but um that's what we're looking at here's God's merc- mercies um but because of that God is worthy of our praises um a God who is aware of our helpless condition uh who we who who are we to question um God um he will do whatsoever he pleases um verse verse 15 there um God is merciful God is righteous, um, so we we see um, that God, who is merciful, um, exercises His sovereign will to display His glory, um, to display His His awesome power um, on 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 Earth. So we see that that God is merciful. We see that there's no no unrighteousness with God because He is the God of mercy. He is a God um, who is sovereign over all things. So, practically speaking, um to this second objection, um, what are some practical applications that we can pull from this? Um, firstly, um, God is the one that will always receive all the glory and credit for our salvation. Um, verse 16. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Which should in turn lead us, um, to a humble heart, to having a heart, um, full of humility. Um, again, allowing the, the truths that we're reading to wash over our hearts and minds, um, to bring us to the place of realizing it was nothing I did or there's nothing uh, in my power to do any of the things that Christ did, um, which, again, should lead to a to a heart filled with humility. God saves, uh, and it is not only Him that saves, uh, excuse me, God saves, and it is only Him that saves, not us. So again, we start by allowing that reality to wash over us, um, and then that leads us... Um, to being humble and contrite in spirit, um, you don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read uh, Romans 34. Excuse me, Psalms Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as to be of a contrite spirit. So again this uh this idea that that God saves not not of them that that uh, that worketh um it is only it is only God only the shed blood of Christ that that saves um that reality should lead us um to having a heart of humility and this this idea uh, of having a contrite spirit what what causes that what 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 brings um our 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 souls to a place of, of humility. Well, that is brought on uh, by a knowledge of our sinful and helpless state. Um, you could also say it this way, a contrite spirit is reached when God reveals to the child of God just how evil the heart is. When the objections of, oh, well, God must be unjust or God is not keeping His promises to me are truly revealed to be false then the realization of our own helplessness sets in when our objections are crushed and when the walls of our own self-sufficiency are torn down, we become contrite of spirit and we are humbled. Because we realize the truth revealed in His Word and and those times of God crushing us can can be hard. When God is revealing um, the truth to us and, and humbling us, they can be difficult times. Um, but I'm willing to bet that for everyone here they can also say that those times are when they felt the presence of God the most. Um and in those in those moments, um who's being glorified? God is. Uh in those moments of um humbling, uh God is the one that's receiving all the praise and all the glory. Because his glory is being revealed uh in those moments. Um and in those moments what what lifts us up is the glory of God that God has revealed to us. Um and we see that in verses uh 17 and 18 of of Romans 9. Um God talks about Pharaoh. Um this this mighty mighty um ruler here on earth that that God uses to display his power. That God uses um to display his his authority over over everything. And excuse me, in those moments, God is showing and displaying his power. Um, not not Pharaoh's, not not uh, Pharaoh's ability to um to uh withstand God. God is showing that he's the one that's hardening Pharaoh's heart. So he can continue To display his glory. And God is committed to displaying his glory. Uh, Paul says that God raised up Pharaoh to display his awesome power. Um, In Exodus Exodus chapter 9, is where you find that, uh, that verse, Exodus 9 16. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up for to show for to show in thee my power, and that mine my name may be declared throughout all the earth. And God does the same thing in our lives um, at times, um not on such a grand scale as he did with Pharaoh, but he will let us go on for a time, pretending to rule our own little kingdom um, of self sufficiency and pride. But He will then use that time to bring us to a place of humility by tearing down our little kingdoms, not for our misery, but for His glory. So again, um, as we look at this second objection here, the the practical uh, application um, is to allow it to humble us um, to a place of realization that God is the one who saves. And outside of outside of God, outside of Christ, I can do nothing. Um and allowing that humility um, to keep us from leaning on our own um self-sufficiency, but to lean on God for everything because He is the one that has saved us and given us everything. Um and not leaning on our own understanding, but leaning on Christ. Um I hope this was a, a blessing to you all. I really, um, I really enjoyed my time, uh, in Romans 9. Um, I encourage you to go spend time uh, in this chapter as well. There's lots of, uh, there's lots of rich and, um, powerful realities found in this chapter, um, that are, that are very encouraging. Um, as you, as you read them and, and dwell on them and meditate on them, they are, uh, very, very rich, um, passages. But uh, that's all I have for this afternoon, so thank you.